After you place your marker there, take your Bibles out and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24, that will be our first reading this morning. Certainly it's good to see everyone here. We have a good number with us and we are grateful that you're here. We do have visitors and we welcome you. Hope that you'll come back any chance you had to come and worship with us. I remember many years ago sitting in Greg Chandler's class as he taught high school economics. And one of the main lessons that he tried to impart with us and tried to get us to understand is that there is, some, there is no such thing as a free lunch. The whole idea behind that, and you think about that in terms of economics, is that everything has a cost. Yes, it may not cost you personally anything, but someone somewhere is going to have to pay a price. <laughs> for what you're getting as free. I don't know what it is about the word free, but whenever we hear the word free, we, we go crazy. Yes, it's free. I don't have to pay anything. I love this. Politicians are some of the worst at promising things for free. Several years ago, and I'm not going to mention names, but we'll know which politician I'm talking about. Several years ago, someone ran for president on the promise that they were going to give free health insurance. That was his big campaign, that was his big promise, that was his promise for change and for hope. And so he promised everyone free health insurance. Well, as they rolled out their plan and as they passed laws and other things, come to find out that it wasn't really free. Now don't worry, I'm not gonna turn this into a political discussion and I'm not going to turn this into blaming presidents or finding fault in their promises. But the problem there is people like to promise things free with other people's money, with other people's time. And so the point that Mr. Chandler was trying to get across to us is that we always have to understand there's a cost. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, when it comes to religion, should it surprise us that when we think about being following after Christ, being a Christian, that's not free either. There's a cost. There's a price associated with being a follower of Christ. And so this morning, our lesson is entitled, The Cost of Faith. I had you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. And if you remember, this is towards the end of David's reign. He's about to, to pass the kingdom over to Solomon and then he'll die. But at the end of 2 Samuel, what we see is that David decides to conduct a census of the people. Now, taking a census of the people was not strictly prohibited, but God did give them specific regulations and rules that when they did take a census, it wasn't to be out of arrogance, it wasn't to be out of pride. This was not something where they were supposed to go out, count the people, and say, oh, look how strong we are, look how numerous we are. No, that wasn't the point of it. But God is displeased with this, and so God gives David three options. Three options for the punishment because of their arrogance, because of their pride, because they sinned against God. And so David takes the one for a plague among the people. I want to keep start reading in verse 18 because David appeals to God. He prays out, cries out, and God relents from the punishment of the people. And so in order to commemorate God's relent, his mercy we see that David wants to offer God a sacrifice. Notice in verse 18. It says, And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite, 
So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Arana went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Then Arana said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing implements, and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Arana has given to the king. And Arana said to the king, May the Lord your God... Accepted. Now, if we stop right there, I think there's a lot of lessons here from Arana, are there not? Here he sees the king coming to him. He sees the need. He sees how David has humbled himself and is obeying God. And Arana says, look, I'll give you anything you need. You need to sacrifice to God. You need to serve him. You need to offer this burnt offering. I've got oxen. Here's the threshing floor. You take whatever you need. I'm giving it to you. This is a good servant. This is a man who recognizes his king's need. Now, how many times would the king just say, it's mine anyway, so I'm going to take it and I'm going to do this. I appreciate it. Thank you. But notice David's reaction here in verse 24. It says, And the king said to Arana, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. David says, I appreciate the offer. I appreciate the fact that you see the need for this. I appreciate the willingness to do this. But he tells Arana, I'm not going to offer a sacrifice something that doesn't cost me anything. I'm not going to offer God something that I didn't have to pay for. That I didn't have to give up something in order to give to God. David says, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to offer God something that cost me nothing. David recognized the cost to stop this plague. And he was willing to pay it. So when we think about our service to God, when we think about following after him, do we recognize that there is a cost for our faith? When we serve God, we must be willing to give up something. We must be willing to sacrifice. So let's think about the cost of following Christ. Turn to Luke chapter 14, and if you want to, place a marker there, because this will be the the place we keep coming back to in our lesson. But Luke chapter 14. How do we know that there is a cost associated with following Christ? Because Christ himself tells us. Christ himself tells us that if you want to be his disciple, if you want to follow after him, you must be willing to pay a price. There is a cost associated with being a disciple of Christ. Let's look at verses 25 and 26. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus, at the beginning of this section, he's talking to people who want to follow him, who want to be his disciple, but Jesus wants them to fully understand what they're getting themselves into. He wants them to understand that being a Christian, following after him, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. It's not always the easiest of paths. And so from the very beginning, Jesus says, look, if you're going to be my disciple, 
it can cost you your family. It can cost you one of the most important relationships that we have on this earth. It can cost you your family relationships in order to follow after Christ. Like I said, place a marker here, but let's go back to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, here Jesus says something almost verbatim what he said there in Luke 14. But the context is a little bit different here. In verse 34, Jesus is talking about the words that he speaks, the words that are going to preach. He's talking about the gospel, the message of peace. But notice what it does in verse 34. Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is challenging us here. He's telling us, think about the cost. Who do you love more? Now, we made this point before, but let's make it again. Is Jesus saying that a parent-child relationship is not important? Of course not. Is Jesus saying that a marriage relationship is not important? That's not the point at all. But what he is saying is that if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to follow after him, it could come to a point where the gospel, the words of Jesus, are going to divide a household. Who will you choose? Who do you love more? Do you love father and mother? You better. Do you love them more than Christ? You better not. Do parents love their children? Absolutely they do. But do they love them more than they love God and love Christ? Brethren, far too many times, I've seen it and you've probably seen it as well, parents who leave the Lord because a child fell away. Spouses who leave the Lord because there's their husband or wife are not believing. It's difficult. It's hard. But the point is, who do we love more? The cost of faith for some could be family. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Get the right chapter. Here, remember that Peter is talking about we spent enough of our past lifetime living the life of a Gentile. And he goes on to list out several sins that they used to live in when they were Gentiles. He says in verse 3 that they walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Verse 4, in regard to these, in regard to the life that you used to live, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Now, oftentimes when we use this verse, we use it in context of someone as you can no longer keep the same friends, Right? The friends that you used to have who are worldly, who are ungodly, when you come to Christ, you can't run with the same crowd. And that's a very good application of this verse, don't get me wrong. But can I suggest to you this morning that maybe sometimes those who speak evil of us, those who think we're strange, those who don't want to have anything to do with this anymore, 
that can be family. Family can speak evil of us. Family can look down upon us because we decide to serve, to serve Christ. Brethren, here in 1 Peter 4 and verse 4, Peter could be talking about family. Family are the ones who turn their backs on you. Family are the ones who want nothing to do with you anymore, who speak evil of you because of Christ. That could very easily happen, could it not? Are we willing to pay that price? Are we willing to front that cost? Over in James chapter 4, James chapter 4 and verse 8, James talks about what it really means to be a Christian. We're not perfect. We can't keep a law perfectly. We recognize that. But the entire point of a life of a Christian is to draw near to God. Here in James 4 and verse 8, James says in verse 7, Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The more that we draw closer to God, that means that we are drawing further away from the world. The sad fact is, brethren, that if our families, our children, our spouses, grandparents, uncles, aunts, whoever it is, if they are worldly, if they are still entangled in the world, then the closer we draw to God, the further away from them we're going to be. That's a cost. That can be the price of faith. And I tell you this morning, that's a price that so many are unwilling to pay. But remember what Jesus says, who do you love more? If you love father or mother, husband or wife, children more than me, Jesus said in Matthew 10, you're not worthy of me. Are we willing to pay the cost? Following Christ can cost us family relationships. Let's go back to Luke chapter 14. And let's keep reading there in verse 27. Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Once again, not only can it cost us relationships here on this earth, now Jesus turns it and says, There is a cross you must bear. Oftentimes, I think when we see that word cross and when we try to draw applications from this verse, our immediate thoughts go to hardships and trials, tribulations, persecutions, and that's absolutely a good point. Yes, bearing the cross carries with it the idea of tribulations and persecutions, absolutely. But brethren, there are a lot of ways that we are to bear our cross. There are a lot of ways that we are to bear our cross besides enduring persecutions, besides enduring trials. That's part of it, absolutely. But there are other ways that we are called to bear a cross. Let me give you three that I struggle with. Can I suggest to you this morning that we are called to bear a cross of humility? We are called to bear a cross of humility. Look over in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 
we have said it before, and I fully believe it, that we live in a very selfish society. We live in a very self-centered world. Social media, things like that, have done nothing to help. We live in a society that it's all about me. And humility has gone right out the window. People are no longer humble. I suggest to you this morning that we need to bear the cross of humility. Not just in humility, but of humility. Look here in Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Of course, we could add verse 5 in here as well, could we not? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Why should we be like this? Because Christ was like that. Christ always put others' needs ahead of his own. He always looked out for other people before he took care of his own needs. Well, brethren, are we being humble? Do we show humility in every aspect of our lives? Are we humble? Are we arrogant and boastful and proud? That's not what Jesus was. So when Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow after him, can I suggest to you this morning that one of the ways that we need to do that is we need to bear the cross of humility. Let me give you a second one. We need to bear the cross of forgiveness. How many lessons have we heard about forgiveness? About the need for forgiveness? About how we must will be willing to forgive? In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14, Jesus tells us flat out what it means for us to be forgiving. In chapter 6 and verse 14 of Matthew, it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. When we read those passages, is forgiveness optional? Is our willingness to forgive someone else something that we say, well, depending on the situation... Or, you don't know how bad the person hurt me. No, Jesus says, if you want to be forgiven by God, you must be a forgiving person. Forgiveness is something that we've heard lesson after lesson, class after class. I fully believe that we all understand the importance of forgiveness. We know how important it is. Here's the problem. It's easy to study forgiveness... It's a lot harder to offer it. It's a lot harder to offer it. It's really easy for someone on the outside looking in saying, yes, you need to forgive that person. Yes, I know they hurt you. Yes, I know they did something against you. You need to forgive them. 
It's easy to say that, is it not? What happens when the roles are reversed? And we're the ones that are expected to offer forgiveness. We're the ones who are expected to forgive. Uh, That becomes a little bit more difficult. This morning, when we think about bearing our cross, why did Jesus bear his cross? So that we could be forgiven of sin. When he hadn't sinned, when he wasn't going to the cross for himself because of something he had done, he did it for us. Are we willing to bear the cross of forgiveness? To forgive? It's easy to say. It's harder to do. Let me give you a third one. What about the cross of sacrifice? Are we willing to sacrifice? Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8. I think far too often when we think about the idea of sacrifice and giving, our thoughts immediately turn to money. Yes, that is a form of giving, absolutely. And I know someone's going to say, well, in the context here in 2 Corinthians 8, he's talking about giving a gift. Yes, I get that. But there's a verse here, and I think it's so easy for us to miss this point. In verse 5, you remember here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is, is really proud or he's really commending rather the churches in Macedonia because all of these churches helped support Paul they would give him the gift which I take is they gave him money they gave him supplies they gave him his physical needs and Paul talks about they gave even though they really didn't have a lot to give they made sure that Paul was taken care of and maybe they did without that's what I get from the way Paul writes about these churches And that follows really close to what Jesus says, does it not? But in verse 5, there's a statement made where Paul talks about all the giving that they gave. In verse 5, he says, not only as we had hoped, meaning they gave more than than what Paul expected, but what did they give first? Not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. When we think about sacrifice, when we think about service, yes, it's good to give money. Yes, it's good to give food and clothing and goods. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But we have to be willing to sacrifice ourselves first. What does that mean to sacrifice ourselves? Well, it could mean that we sacrifice our time. It could mean that we sacrifice our desires, our wants, Because what do we read in Philippians chapter 2? Esteem others better than ourselves. Put the needs of others ahead of our own. But once again, we are a very self-serving, a very selfish society. I've earned this. I deserve this. I want this and I want it now. Is that not the attitude of so many in the world? But Paul talks about the spirit of sacrifice the cross of sacrifice they gave themselves first and then they gave till it hurt now i'm not suggesting this morning that we give till it hurts that's not what i'm saying at all but what i am saying is what are we willing to sacrifice in our service to god bearing the cross for him are we willing to sacrifice are we willing to give up something 
Are we willing to offer that kind of service to God? Those are three crosses that I struggle to bear sometimes. And maybe you do as well. But Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to bear the cross. Are we bearing the cross? Are we willing to pay the price to follow after Christ? Let's go back to Luke chapter 14 and let's finish out this section. Notice in verse 28. He starts off, For which of you... See, Jesus is taking this on a personal level. Each of us must count the cost. We as a group here at Lacey Springs, we don't count the cost as our church. You don't necessarily count the cost as your family. Jesus is saying, you as an individual, you count the cost. He says, which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to to finish. That's embarrassing, is it not? That's embarrassing to have a job half done. To not be able to finish a project. I've seen this in my job, and maybe you have as well. Where it never fails, there's always one group, one team who's overly ambitious, right? Oh, I can get that job done, no problem. I understand all that requirement. They said it's going to take three months. I can get it done in one month. There's always that person. There's always that team, is it not? And it's like, name that tomb. Okay, you think you can do it in one month? Good luck. And they start and they try and they, they for a month, they're, they're crunching and they're trying to get this done. And after a month, is it done? Well, we ran into some unexpected Delays. There were some unforeseen problems. Well, no, they weren't unforeseen. We just willfully chose to ignore them, right? Yeah, you, you know, probably knew that this project was going to take longer. You knew that it wasn't going to be this easy. And yet, because you wanted to build yourself up, build your team up, you overpromised and underdelivered. That's the exact same thing Jesus is saying here. Who's going to build a house and not have enough to finish it? How ridiculous is that? Keep reading in verse 31. <clears throat> or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. War more times than not comes down to numbers. Now it's not always the case. I understand that. But generally speaking, the army with the most, the, the highest number of people, they're going to win the battle. Like I said, I know in history there are many cases where the underdog won absolutely. But once again, generally speaking, an army is not going to go up against another army that's three times their size. That's what Jesus is saying here. They consider the cost. They consider the probability of winning. What are their chances? And if the chances aren't good, what are they going to do? They're going to try to sue for peace. They counted the cost and they said, we're going to lose. 
So they try to fix it. They do anything they can to try and avert the loss. That's what Jesus is saying here. Everybody has to count the cost. You have to consider whether or not it's worth it. What is the value to you? Back a few chapters in Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus talking to three people who wanted to follow after him. Who said that they would follow after him. And we see the response that Jesus makes to them. In Luke 9, starting in verse 57, it says, It happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first and go bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I want to focus there on verse 62. Where Jesus says, if you start something and if you don't finish it, then you're not fit for the kingdom of God. You're not worthy. Are we willing to finish what we start? Are we willing to put in the effort? Do we see the cost? And are we willing to pay it? Years ago, I was reading an article I thought was really interesting. Jerry Rice, and I don't know if, if you don't follow football, you don't know who that is. But Jerry Rice is arguably one of, if not the best, wide receiver that ever played in the NFL. Played for the 49ers, played with Joe Montana and Steve Young, won multiple championships, Hall of Famer. He's a really good wide receiver. He was talking one time and somebody asked him how he was so good. What did he do in order to be able to play as long as he did, to be able to set all the records? What did he do to prepare himself? He sat down and he said, well, I work out six days a week. And when we talk about a workout, we're not talking about a little 30-minute mild workout. Six days a week through the entire year, he would start his morning at 5.30 with a run, five miles. When he got to the end, and living in San Francisco, you know, it's a very hilly place. When he would come up to a hill, he would challenge himself to sprint up the hill. No matter how steep, no matter how high it was, he would sprint it. After he got done with that, he would go to the weight room, and he would lift weights for an hour. You get the point? He was dedicated. And one of the things that he said in his article is he talked about younger receivers coming into the NFL. They would call him, and they would ask him, can you help me? Can you show me what it takes to be a champion? And he was very humble. He would say, I would, I would sit down with them, and he would tell them exactly, this is my workout. He said he would, he would offer to work out with them. He would work out, offer to train with them. Very few took him up on it. Why? Because very few want to do that much work. Very few want to put that much effort. But that's the price. That's the cost. They were unwilling to pay, unwilling to pay it. Jesus tells us that to be his disciple, count the cost. Don't start what you're unwilling to finish. I'm going to give you two examples. Think about the example of Demas. 
You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that Paul is at the end of his letter. He's talking to Timothy. He's telling him he needs his staff. He needs his cloak. He needs, he needs to come quickly because he's by himself. In chapter 4 and verse 10, he talks about Demas. He says, Demas has forsaken me, loving this present age. Demas started as a disciple, but he turned away. He chose the world over Christ. I'll give you a second example. What about John Mark? Do you remember John Mark? He went, started the journey with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. They get to Cyprus and he goes home. Well, you come to chapter 15 and they're ready to go on their second journey and Paul does not want to take John Mark because he left him. But Barnabas is determined that John Mark is going to go with them. It becomes so divisive and so contentious that they just split. Paul takes Silas. Barnabas takes John Mark. Well, you look at that and think, Paul, he didn't want to take John Mark. Why? Because he turned back. He did exactly what Jesus told him not to do. He started something, but he didn't finish it. In 2 Timothy 4, in that same chapter where Paul talks about Demas forsaking he talks about Mark. And he asked Timothy, bring Mark with you because he's useful to me. He turned back, but he came back. Are we counting the cost? God deserves our everything. There in verse 33, Jesus says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. God deserves everything that we have. Why? Because he gave us everything. John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave us everything. Are we living a life for Christ? Are we living a life for ourselves? Do you remember the condemnation that God places upon the Israelites back in the book of Malachi? The table of the Lord is contemptible. Oh, what a weariness. Their sacrifices, they were offering the blind, the lame, the sick, the stolen. God says, should I accept this from you? I will not accept it. God deserves the best. He demands the best of us. Are we willing to sacrifice all? First time I think I've ever had to stop a sermon a little short. But I'll tell you what, this might be the invitation after the singing. But the cost of faith. Have you counted the cost? Are you willing to bear the cross? Are you willing to deny yourself and follow Him? This morning, if you're here, and if you recognize that you haven't been paying the price, that you haven't been living the life of a Christian, if there's sin in your life that's separating you from God, then there's an invitation now to make your life right. This morning, if you're here and you're ready to start that journey by being buried in the waters of baptism, giving your life to Him, See, here's water. What hinders you from being baptized? This morning, when we think about the cost, are we willing to pay it?
This morning, if you're here and you're subject to the invitation, will you let us know as we stand and as we sing this song?